The following sermon audio is from Love City Church, Cincinnati. More audio and information about Love City Church can be found at www.mylovecitychurch.org. Please turn with me, if you would, to Genesis chapter 6. We're in verse 9. We did the first half of Genesis 6 uh, last week. We're continuing in our series. It's called Our Story Begins. And we're going verse by verse through the first 11 chapters of Genesis. Uh, As we've said, the Bible is about God. So we don't want to be confused by this title. uh, Because all of history is really his story. All of history belongs to God. However, he has graciously included us in his plans and purposes. Everything that exists is a part of this grandest of all narratives. The story of God creating, sustaining, and saving his people for his purposes and his pleasure. So we're thankful that we get to be a part of that. I hope you're thankful uh, that if you're breathing today, you're a part of God's story. No matter where you land on the spectrum of obedience to him, uh, you're here because he said so. We're thankful for that. So today we're going to continue to look at the life of Noah. Uh, Bible-believing Christians oftentimes refer to, you'll hear me do this sometimes, they refer to Adam and Eve as our first parents. Uh, And we understand that all humans could trace their lineage back to them if we had accurate records to do so, right? Uh, We don't, but we could. What is less often talked about, that because it was Noah and his sons who repopulated the earth after the judgment of God through a global flood, that we are all actually descendants of Noah as well. Uh, I don't know if you guys have a grandpa like this, but my great-grandfather was in the Navy, and uh, he saw some things and some places that made for some really cool storytelling. He was a good storyteller. My great-grandpa was. His name was Marnie, and uh, one of the best men I've ever known, and so I miss him a whole lot. But I used to enjoy listening to him tell about different situations he was in and foreign countries and out on the boat and how he navigated those and got through it. He even uh, he had a few photos from way back then. And he would pull those out, and you know that would jog his memory again. He'd tell me something else, super cool. I think I heard all the stories uh, before he went home to be with Jesus. But uh, if not, I'm sure he remembers them now, and I'll get them someday, right? So praise God for that. Uh, but there's something compelling, isn't there, in in looking back into our lineage and the history of our families to understand what took place and how it affected them, how they walked through that. So. Today we're going to have a chance to see what it looked like for our great, 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 like 80 more greats grandpa, right? Because remember what I said before? We all think of Adam and Eve. Sure, we're connected to them. But listen, man, we all have the same grandpa. Don't get freaked out. There's enough generations in between there. It's all right. You're married who you're married to. All right? It's all right. It's okay. But we all have a, you know, I don't know how many, 80 grandpas, how many generations or years that gets you. I'm not that good at math. But Somewhere down the line, man, Noah's our grandpa, right? And he's got a story for us, and we're going to see today how our, our grandpa to the 80th power, however that works, how he walked with God and uh, how he, he sought to obey him in, in what was one of the most difficult circumstances that anyone has ever faced. He's not in an easy position, okay? So we're going to read together. Let's see how Grandpa Noah walked this thing out. Okay, like I said, we're chapter 6, verse 9. Here we go. 
These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. And behold, I'm about to destroy them with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you shall make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. And its height, 30 cubits. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark in the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I, am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Of the birds after their kind, of the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all the food which is edible and gather it to yourself, and it shall be for food for you and for them. Thus Noah did, according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. Praise God for his word. Uh, you may notice tonight I, the, the sermon will hopefully be a little shorter. I know every time I say that I'm at risk of uh, not having integrity. However, um, you may have noticed that uh, around the building it looks like the Little Mermaid broke in and decorated. And uh, so what's happening there is our friends at Grace are uh, doing VBS this week. So they've been working really hard to get everything set up. And they actually, once we're out of here, uh, got to finish up. And so uh, the other thing I just wanted to say and remember to say is... Uh, if we're going to fellowship, let's, let's kind of move it on and move it out so they can get right at what they're doing, okay? Praise God for that. Uh, but you should be getting a little bit shorter sermon this evening, but you know how that goes, okay? So the first thing I want to do is try to remove some barriers that might be a distraction from the power and the beauty of these verses. So many people struggle with the account of Noah and the ark because they just can't fathom how this could have actually happened, and then that brings into the question the validity of the rest of what is surrounding it, what the Bible says as a whole. And so you got one boat, you got a handful of humans, and two of every kind of animal on the planet. It seems, at face value, uh, that it, that could be far-fetched. One thing I want to say to us, and I want us to always remember, is faith never requires turning off your brain. True faith does not mean you have to stop thinking. That's never required, Okay. God actually calls us to love him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Okay, so he wants our mind engaged in this faith process and following him. Now, to be sure, there are some folks that are hostile towards God and his word, and so they will try to undermine the validity and possibility of this ark uh, story happening. But some, and so, so sometimes that's what you're dealing with if somebody's hitting you with questions or they seem to have reservations, but, but we also need to realize some people really just want to know that what they're believing is true. They don't want to turn their brains off uh, in order to believe something, and they shouldn't have to, okay? So here's one, I just want to deal with this because there's, there's some principles we're going to draw out of here for life application, things I believe will help us from Grandpa Noah's life. However, I don't want uh, us to be sitting here thinking, 
how can I take any of what's being said here if I can't even really wrap my mind around how the art could have actually happened, okay? So here's some things to think about. This will not in any way be an exhaustive apologetic for Noah's Ark and a global flood. Here's just some things to think about, okay? So the Ark was the length of one and a half football fields roughly, okay? Like 150 yards. Uh, it was as wide as a seven-story building and as tall as a four-story building, okay? So what we're looking at really here is not so much a boat, but a well-ventilated barge, not designed really for uh, anything other than floating wherever the current may take it, okay? It wasn't meant to be steered or anything like that. It's a big holding uh, tank, really. Now, it's estimated that um, if there were two of every kind of animal, and when I say kind, I'm going to make a distinction here. Kind and species is, is two different things, and, and there's, there's debate about what the Bible means when it says animal of every kind, okay? Because, you know, Basically, scientists believe that, um, that that chihuahua or that pug that you have at home ultimately descended from some form of gray wolf at one time, okay? So the kind of animal was a canine-type creature, and then we've seen that within, God has built into each kind of animal an ability for genetic diversity adaptation uh, and an ability to, uh, you know, ultimately we breed dogs and we end up with different dogs and now we've got dogs that fit in purses, which, I, I mean, I don't understand the point. I guess it's cute, but, you know, if I'm going to feed a dog, it has to be able to defend my house uh, and have some type of utility. So uh, I don't care if you've got small dogs, have a great time, pet it, fetch, have fun. Uh, I'm just saying, for me, the, the point escapes me, but I tend to be a little more utilitarian maybe than is necessary. So uh, the point is, if, if the Bible's talking about kinds... Um, if it's not talking about specific species, right? If it means there was, there was a wolf and there was a tiger and there was something else and those represent then all the diversity genetically possible within those kinds, then we're looking at 700 pairs of animals, roughly 1,400 animals, okay? That, the, the ark, once you start figuring cubic volume, square foot, what's available inside the ark for space, that number's non-problematic under any circumstance whatsoever. It would, that you would have, you'd have room for racquetball courts in Noah's Ark, in addition to holding the animals and the food and everything else, okay? Tons of space. Now, if it was two of every species, which I tend to think is probably more likely, it wasn't just the 700 pairs of different kinds. If it was two of every species of animals that would have needed to come onto the Ark to survive, the estimate is around 35,000 pairs of animals, okay? 35,000 pairs, all right? Uh, now, if you start to do the math and you... Think about the average size of an animal uh, that would have been found on the ark. The average would come out to about the size of a sheep. Now, what do I mean? How do I average animal sizes? Well, I've got some animals that are little marsupials like chinchillas that are so cute, right? You've got some of those, they're tiny. Then you've got some that are a little bigger and some that are really big. When you average it all together, you'd end up with something around the size of the space needs of a sheep, okay? So, taking that into consideration... If you figure the interior volume of the ark with the dimensions given, there would have been uh, enough room for roughly 140,000 sheep in half of the ark's storage capacity. I know this is getting way too close to a math class for some of you. It's too close for me, all right? But we're going to be out of this in a second, but this is important. And I don't expect you to remember all these numbers. The overall premise I want you to see is that when people say, oh, there's no, they just, without doing any real calculating or thinking maybe sometimes, 
Oh, you can never do that. Well, let's actually look at how many different species of animals there are. Let's actually do some calculations on the cubic volume interior space of what is described here as being built. Let's, let's do some math. Let's do some critical thinking, and let's see what's possible. So if we get 140,000 sheep in half of the ark's storage capacity, you had what? You had 35,000, right? Pairs of animals. So we're talking about roughly 70,000 animals. We've got a bunch of room left. A bunch of room left for the food, for the people, whatever else we had to bring. This was an enormous ship. This was an enormous boat. Uh, doing all that calculation, you've got ample room left for the people and provisions. Uh, if it truly was the 35,000 pairs of animals, they may have had to cut the racquetball court out that I mentioned earlier. However, you'd still have plenty of space. All right? And again, I don't want you to necessarily, if you want to, that's great, be able to rattle all that off. That's wonderful. Uh, but just having a sense that, you know what, I know if we did some research and took a look, I could show you that it's, it's not as preposterous as it may seem that God instructed this man to build a boat that was of a fully adequate size and shape. I mean, people have looked at this, and, and, and some people really have an issue with this because they, they, they think it's borrowed from other places, right? You've got like the Babylonian uh, story of Gilgamesh, but things of that nature, but the, the, like part of the problem with that story is Gilgamesh was supposedly in a big cube, right? So stick a big cube in the ocean, it's just going to spin around and do nothing. I mean, it's, it's very interesting. We have an extremely piece, ancient piece of literature here describing dimensions that would have actually turned out to be a very seaworthy vessel that actually had the square footage available inside of it to do what it is the Bible says it did, which is keep Noah and his family and all these animals safe, Okay. Bottom line there, you don't have to just say, well, I don't know, God did it. There's, there's more that can be said than that. Now, ultimately, God's miraculous hand had to be at work for this whole thing to work out. But it also makes sense in a lot of ways. So some people would say, well, how did the animals get there? How did all the animals get to this one single spot? Well, verse 20 says, of the birds after their kind and the animals after their kind, of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind, two of every kind will come to you to keep them alive. They will come to you to keep them alive. And so, yeah, I imagine if Noah had to build the ark and, you know, go around with one of those like neck catcher things that the dog catcher has on movies and just catch all these animals that, yeah, that, I mean, mm, I don't know. I don't know if a hundred years is enough time to make that happen. So, Probably not, but that doesn't seem to be what God's saying. God's saying, you do this job, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send these animals to you. Now, how does God do that? I don't know. Some of you might be saying, well, how did the you know, South American wombat get there? That's not a real animal. I totally just made that up, so don't try to, don't Nat Geo check me on that one, okay? But how did some South American thing get over here to you know, the Middle East where this ark was at? Well, there's, again, this, this still goes in the bucket of a, of a theory, but there is very compelling evidence that the land masses on earth did not always look like they look right now. There's really great evidence that they probably were all a lot closer together or even connected at one time. You've probably heard the idea of Pangaea, the supercontinent. Okay, I mean, there's, there's fossils on the west coast of Africa that, meet, that, that are match fossils on the east coast of South America. You understand what I'm saying? And they really look like they fit together. I mean, that would be weird if they weren't hooked up at some point, right? So, the whole point is, I don't, we can't totally know, but there is enough evidence and things we can observe in science that this is not as ridiculous as it sounds. And it doesn't, it's not, it wouldn't be totally surprising to me if all the land masses were together 
And then there was a global flood, and things were different after the water receded. I mean, the flood itself could have been part of what broke up uh, a single continent if that was indeed what things looked like, okay? Um, I was tempted because I'm a nerd to give you more Pangea evidence, but I'm not going to. Just I, There is a lot of evidence. If you want to go lose yourself in Wikipedia later, please be my guest. I had fun in there. I was digging around, you know, it was great, memorizing fossil names and stuff. Forgot them now, but I had them. So the other thing we need to, so you might be thinking, well, okay, that's fine, but man, we're still talking great distances. Even if it was one supercontinent, these animals had to travel a real long way. Well, how, how did they all get there if they were all spread out over this thing? Well, <clears throat> what we have to remember is you can, you can look at the end of chapter 5 and uh, then what chapter 6 says, and, and you can get an idea that it was somewhere, but it took Noah somewhere between 75 to 100 years to build this ark from the time where God said, uh, this is what I want you to do, to the point where he said, all right, close everybody up. We're looking between 75 and 100 years. That's a lot of time. That explains partially how we ended up with a boat so big. Uh, and it's, it's interesting. This is, this is not something I would hang my hat on, but I found several accounts of people hiking around uh, Ararat, which is where the best estimates are that this thing landed, uh, near Armenia, kind of, I'm not going to do any more geography than that, but you can go look at it later. Basically, there's, there's several accounts of people hiking at 13 and 14,000 feet in that area and finding four foot and larger planks of hand-hewn wood at that height. And I don't, you're like, well, why is that a big deal? We're at 14,000 feet, 13,000 feet up a mountain. What are we doing with big hand-hewn planks, right? Like, I don't know. Could have been left over from the ark. Okay, that's, that's not like a lead them out of the gate with that argument. I'm just telling you that there, are, there have been accounts like that on multiple occasions. Uh, sometimes that stuff gets shut down. But anyways, we don't want to get into all that. So we'll just keep moving. So how did all the animals get there? They had 75 or 100 years to do it. Okay, so God who created all of the cosmos, he can control migration patterns. And it may have even been that, you know, there may have had been several generations of animals uh, migrating that way that ended up then with what I would assume, if, you know, God's pretty smart, I'm assuming he didn't have animals come to the ark that were at the end of their reproductive cycle, but probably towards the beginning, which is also why, you know, the rhinos and the elephants and all the rest, they probably weren't full grown. Whatever the bigger animals were, they were probably in adolescent age groups so that they would have the longest possible lifespan for repopulating the earth afterwards. The Bible doesn't say that, but that is, makes real good sense. Uh, Bottom line is, God caused the animals to come. There was 75 to 100 years for that to happen and for the ark to be built, okay? There's a lot more that could be said. I really just wanted to give you, you're like, really? Yes, I promise. We could have done that till you fell asleep. But I want to give you at least a primer on the fact that you don't have to deny reality to believe this account in Genesis 6 or any other account in the Bible, Okay, just knowing that a little math and critical thinking can make what seems impossible at least plausible can help us be confident when we share our faith and can lovingly help others be open to the truth about Jesus. I don't know if you've met people. I have met a lot of people in, in just engaging them, asking them what they think about Jesus. Many times I'll hear, yeah, I think Jesus might be cool or whatever, but I, you know, I don't know about the Bible, man. I can't believe the Bible. You got, you got people getting swallowed by fish. You got Noah's Ark and this type of stuff. There's really, man, sometimes the fact that 
we, we are not willing to do a little bit of critical thinking about these things and be prepared then with an answer for the hope we profess, that's First Peter, sometimes that, that can be a barrier for people. And how tragic would it be if somebody stayed away from Jesus just because nobody took the time to think a little bit about how Noah's Ark is not as crazy as it sounds? Amen. All right. Now, the math and the critical thinking I'm talking about doesn't even take into account that the God who spoke all creation into existence has the power to work miracles within that creation. That just seems to make sense. And so if you're starting with somebody and it's like, hey, do you, okay, do you believe God exists? Yes. Okay, well, what about his word? What about Jesus? And you're kind of working through, finding out where they're at so that you don't, you know, because I know when you guys do evangelism, you don't go out with just, you know, the double barrel shotgun of pre-canned answers and start shooting people with it, right? I know you guys are asking good questions, right? Learning where they're at before you try to engage with them. Man, I need more nodding than I'm getting right now. Somebody nod. <laughs> okay, all right. That's the way we do it, right? We go out, we ask good questions. We, we get to know them first and we listen very well before we just start throwing stuff at people because that's not the point. Uh, we want to find out where they're at and how to move them closer to Jesus. And sometimes stuff like this can be in the way for them. And uh, we want <clears> to <throat> do what we can to help with that, okay? Because uh, we love them, and we love the Lord. So this, um, okay, so that's that. Hopefully that moves, if, if there was somebody here that maybe has struggled with that, um, and, and you would have been thinking the whole time, okay, we're talking about Noah's Ark, and now I'm totally distracted because I don't even know how that could be possible. If that was you, hopefully that hurdle's out of the way. And if you got more questions on that, you want to engage further on that, uh, you know I'm happy uh, to dork out on that. So get with me, and we'll talk about the rest of why. It doesn't, doesn't have to, you don't have to be an unthinking person to believe what the Bible says about this, okay? So let's transition to some of the beauty that's here, all right? This chapter ends in a way that I am hoping will compel us to fervent self-examination and hopeful expectation of what God wants to do with us. Let me read you the last verse again. This is verse 22. It says, Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him. So he did. This verse resonates in my heart, and I hope it does for you, friends. Should we not yearn should we not yearn for these words to be spoken of us? When the sum of our life is tallied and all our works and ways have been measured, do you not hope that at least for some large part of your life it could be said, thus they did all that God had commanded them? I hope, I hope upon hope that that's true for me. Now, I know that I'm talking to a bunch of different people. Some of you here today, what I just said, it may not be important to you at all. That's when you think about the end of your life, your legacy, when you're thinking about what it is you hope to accomplish, for it to be said of you that you had done all that God commanded you, that doesn't make the top of the list. And for you, friend, if that's you today, if it's not important to you, if it's not a high priority because of wherever you find yourself on your journey, I, I would plead with you. I would plead with you to get on your face before God and ask him to put in you a desire to do all that he has commanded you to do. I would hope the only person within the sound of my voice that would not care about what's being said, that they would not care about 
it being able to be said of them that they did all that God commanded them to do. I'm hoping the only person that that would be true for is an unbeliever. But I'm also aware that sometimes the dust of religion, sometimes the busyness of life, sometimes the apathy that Satan is trying to rope every single Christ follower in with, sometimes it settles upon us. And sometimes it gets us to the point where nothing may resonate in us to hear what was said about Grandpa Noah at the end of his life, that he did all that God commanded him to do. For some of us, we may be believers, and yet and nothing happened inside, nothing in us be touched to hear that and no desire be awoken in us to have that said of us. And friends, I'm just saying, I just want to lay this out, that that's unacceptable for the Christ follower. We should want it to be able to be said of us, that we've done all that God's commanded us to do. That at least we were striving for that bar, right? We've come short of it, of course. But at least that's what we were going for. We see in the beginning of, of what we read today that Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time, and that could make us feel like Grandpa Noah was on a different level than us that we cannot attain because we know we're not blameless and we're not righteous, but we need to, it's very important for us to understand the Bible interprets the Bible. When we go to Hebrews 11, it says Noah's righteousness was the same way our righteousness is established. It was by faith. Noah did all that God commanded by faith. Noah heard God say, build a boat in the middle of the desert, and he obeyed. And he saw that the best thing he could possibly do with that 75 or 100 years of his life was to obey this God who had made him and had called him to this purpose far greater than himself. And it is for this reason, the faith that caused him to respond in that way that he's called blameless and righteous before God. Hebrews tells us that. And dear friend, you have the same opportunity to trust God by faith today with all of your life. You're not precluded from this, not because of anything in your past, not because of anything anybody's ever said to you that maybe you've even come to believe is true. There's nothing that keeps you out of striving right now, caring deeply about when all is tallied at the end, that it could be said of you. They did all that God commanded them. They did what God made them for. Dear friend, I hope this matters to you. For some of you, it does matter. And you would say, you think you are doing all he has commanded you. For you, dear brother or sister, if that's you, I would ask that you seek God earnestly to reveal whether or not that is true or whether you have settled for something less than his desire because oftentimes it is possible for us to think we have done all that God's commanded us. But a couple ways for you to know if that's true or not. If, if right now you believe you're doing all that God's commanded you to do and you're really comfortable, you feel like you can do it within your own strength, there's a great chance you're not doing all that God's commanded you to do because your God is always going to call you into something that you could not do without him because that is the only way you end up humble and submitted to the might of his hand and not in some prideful endeavor of your own wishes and hopes and dreams. Absolutely always God's going to call you to something. He's going to pull you into something that if he doesn't show up and help you, you'll fail. Because he wants you to understand. You can't do this without him. Praise God. And he's, isn't it wonderful that God has called us into a divine partnership with him? He hasn't just sent us along on our way, do your best, but he calls us up to. He calls us into a mission and a purpose that we will fail utterly and miserably if he is not with us. Isn't that why he said to the disciples, go into all the world, 
and make disciples. Teach them to obey all that I've commanded. Do you understand? He said, go into all the world and make disciples. I mean, can you imagine the jaws of the disciples flopping open as the master says this to them? Like, you know, maybe all of Judea, maybe, maybe all of surrounding regions. I mean, that's a lot. We're talking thousands of people. Maybe just the Roman Empire, sure. I mean, it's going to take us the rest of our lives, and, and maybe it'll be our grandsons that get that done, but we could see that happening. But then Jesus goes and says, all the world. And then what's, what's the next thing he says? He knows he just blew them out of the water with the command. What's the next thing the Lord says? Lo, I am with you all the way to the end of the age. If you can handle everything you got going on, everything you're doing for the Lord Jesus, you've probably stopped short of what he has for you. For some, it's not important. For some, it does matter. For some, it's important, but they see so many obstacles in the way that they cannot imagine being able to overcome them. And that, friend, is where... We're going to find encouragement in Grandpa Noah's story for all of us today. Really, wherever you are today, looking at some of how Noah walked this out will be helpful for us. But I'm going to give you three things that were true about the obstacles and the difficulties that Noah was dealing with and how, by faith, he was able to overcome those and, and have it said of him. This is what I'm talking about. I'm setting the goal right here. Verse 22, man, is the goal. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. I just, I'd, I'd like to get a week or a month where that's true of me, right? Like humbly I understand, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a, just a mere man with, with clay feet, a broken vessel, but I at least want to set that goal. I'd like to make it six hours, man, where everything God commanded me I did. And I want to set that as the goal every day. I don't want to shoot any shorter than that because that is, that is the mark. Complete obedience to God is the greatest potential we have for joy and for having any effect in this world and on eternity. Praise the Lord. Here's a few things Noah was up against. I know for some of you, it is important. For some of you, it is resonating. For some of you, at times in your life, you have said, I want to do all that God has called me to do, every single bit of it. But then you, you start to look around, you start to look inside, and you see all these obstacles. And so, it's not that Noah was in some kind of privileged situation, better off than we are, and that's how he got verse 22 said about him. All right, so let's, let's set that correctly. First of all, the environment Noah was working in was not helping. The environment Noah was trying to do all that God commanded was not helpful. Let's look at verse 11 and 12. Now, the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. This is a devastating verse. This is an absolute way to say that evil and corruption had spread to a degree that everybody was affected and infected. And so that was Noah's situation. It wasn't like he was going to start building this ark and a bunch of good-natured people were going to show up and say, hey, looks like you're into a project there, buddy. Can I help? Right? That, that was not, not what he was up against. What he was up against is people that were probably ridiculing and opposing all the way, jeering at the fact that we got this thing that looks like it's supposed to float in water built in the middle of the desert in a place where up until this point it had not yet rained. Uh, that's, that's difficult. There was animosity. There was corruption. Everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, evil all the way around. And, and for us, sometimes the environment 
can be similar. Sometimes it's, it's scary. Sometimes in, in where we're at right now, 2018, sometimes there is animosity towards God and towards his people. There, there is what seems to be a trend of where it used to be that if someone said, I'm a Christian, the average person would have somewhat favorable thoughts about them because of that. It was, it was typically associated with good things. And it's now that for many people to hear that somebody's a Christian, they're, they're, they automatically assume that this person is archaic, this person is bigoted, this person is hateful. Now, for us to be humble and honest, we have earned that many times. We have not done a good job explaining uh, how the love of God encounters the sin of mankind and how, how God actually thinks about that. Sometimes we've just yelled at people and not been helpful, but sometimes it can be scary um, in our current environment to try to stand for God in such a way and to try to live out a life where all that he's commanded us to do is what we're doing. Sometimes the environment around us can be depressing. I mean, I don't know how much news you guys pay attention to. I don't know how much you see out here, but if you've got a social media account, uh, really if you've got eyes and ears uh, and you walk outside, you can see that there is a level of devastation in our world, a level of brokenness because of sin and its effects that honestly can become overwhelming. It can become to the point where it, is, it, it has a depressive effect upon that desire we may have to serve and obey God in such a way that verse 22 would be said of us. Now, for many of you, you don't even have to get outside. I know this is true. You don't have to watch the news or you don't have to look at the pain of others. For some of you, there's an internal and personal struggle. It, it, it doesn't even have anything to do with what's going outside. You're there's, a, there's an internal battle, whether it's, it's guilt or whether it's sin committed against you or whatever that mix is, or it's, it's your own uh, anxieties and, and, and fears. For, for some of you, there's an internal battle. It doesn't even take any external negative stimulus for you to be shut down from this desire and this walking out uh, of doing what God has made you for and commanded you for, but, uh, to do. But I, I want to I just give you some things, hopefully, that will, will help. I mean, Noah was dealing with all of that. I mean, do you think Noah had an internal struggle, okay? All of a sudden, he gets a word from God one day, and then he's got to tell his family, hey, guess what? For the next 7,500 years, guess what we're going to do? We're going to log and mill planks all day, and then we're going to build them into this huge boat. What's a boat? Oh, I don't, well, I don't really know how to explain it to you, but, you know, because we live in a desert, but just trust me. God told me. You think there was ever a day where maybe he doubted he was on the right mission, doing the right thing. You think anybody helped him doubt that, perhaps? Mrs. Noah? I don't know. <laughs> You've lost your mind, old man. No, <laughs> we're not building this giant boat for the rest of our lives. I'm sure he had some internal conflict. Uh, one thing that can help with this is, is something God has said about us, especially when it comes to that internal conflict. Romans 8.37 says this, it says that in Christ, we who follow him are more than conquerors. We are more than conquerors in Christ. I used to struggle with that verse because I, being a conqueror sounds cool. Like I'm happy to settle with that. But again, God has this idea and this continual, this continual push of bringing us to a place of understanding that we need him. And that's what's happening in Romans 8.37. The fact that we're more than conquerors, what he's saying there, it's very much like several times in Israel's history, 
They would be going out to battle, and God would say something to the effect of, no, 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 you put your shields down, you put your swords down, you stand still, I'm going to fight this battle, and you're going to watch. You're going to watch me be faithful. You're going to watch me lay waste to your enemies, and you're going to see the salvation and deliverance of the Lord. That is what Romans 8.37 is talking about. The fact that you are more than a conqueror, dear friend, I know that we are plagued by fears, we are plagued by anxiety, sometimes we are plagued by the difficult reality of the world around us, and oftentimes those look like insurmountable obstacles for us to even begin by faith to try to walk out a life of obedience to God. But what I'm saying to you is, it's not up to you. When you stack up and you look at all the strength you have to apply to this fight, and you say, I don't have it. I agree with you, and so does God. That's why he said, you're more than a conqueror. That's why he's encouraged you in every way possible throughout his word to lean on him, to trust him, to see that it is his strength that's going to carry us through, and it's going to lift us up, and it's going to give us victory in the day. It's it's him. It's not us. That's what being more than a conqueror is. And if, if you trust that God is going before you, and he's your rear guard, and he's the one fighting, it allows you to walk forward in confidence. It allows you to really seek for what is God asking me to do and to take those steps, not being frozen by fear or by anxiety. So the environment that Noah was working in was not helpful. I know sometimes that's true for us, but it definitely was true for him. The job and the pressure was enormous. The job and the pressure was enormous, okay? So, We've already said 75 to 100 years of building this boat. Can you imagine that? They're collecting provisions. They're listening to the doubts of others. They're trying to continue on this thing, somehow being led by God through the process. I mean, I know, I know God gave him some measurements, but God had to have supernaturally guided this thing as well because no human in any time frame could just set off to build a structure like this and it come out right. So God was definitely in the midst of that process. But I mean, can we just be honest for a moment and say this? Many of us struggle to stay focused on what God has commanded us for 75 days, right? Much less 75 years. That, that's, that's the truth. But, but staying focused upon what God has asked of us, it's what it's going to take for us to end up doing all that he has commanded of us. There needs to be a resolute focus in us. There needs to be this desire that, and, and, and kind of a, a wide-eyed self-awareness going into the thing, that there is going to be temptations from every angle for me to go off of this path, to go chase my own priorities and desires and whatever that looks like. Absolutely, I'm going to be constantly bombarded with temptation to quit. It's always going to be there. But what it takes is this, this resolute focus that comes by the power of God by the strength of his Holy Spirit, and this desire, a desire that rises above the other desires, for it to be said of us that we have done the best we possibly could to do all that God has commanded us, that that is the description of our life. We need to care about that. God commanded Noah to build the ark. We're talking about the fact that the job and pressure was enormous, right? God didn't God didn't with Noah, sometimes what he does with us is gives us little bits and pieces so we don't freak out. He didn't do that with Noah. He said, I need you to build this huge boat, and here's why. Because I'm going to bring judgment, and this is how a remnant is going to be saved. That's a lot of pressure. God commanded Noah to build the ark for the salvation of mankind, 
And God has called his church to preach the gospel for the salvation of mankind, to love him and love others and make disciples for the salvation of mankind. And so we find ourselves in the same spot as Grandpa Noah. Why did he build the ark? It's for the salvation of mankind. What, why do we have the purpose that we've been given from God? It's for the salvation of mankind. And so the job is big. It's intimidating. It's far, when we start to think of it in those terms, when we get our mind back to the fact that there is a mission before us, that to be saved by grace is to be called to then share grace with others, to know that I've been swept into this mission. It's the same one Grandpa Noah was on. It's being a part of God's redemptive purpose and plan that we all end up at that finite moment where those who by faith have trusted in him spend all of eternity basking in his absolute unveiled glory that we are in relationship as we were intended for. That's where we're headed, but there's a job to do. The salvation of mankind hung on Noah obeying God and building that boat. And God has entrusted us with the message of salvation today. Friends, hear me in this. God has not commanded us to build a wooden boat to carry people, but he has commanded us to call people to cling to a wooden cross. You see, in Noah's day, there had to be a boat because there was water coming, and that's the way salvation was going to come. But in our day, friends, sin has infected the heart of every person. None of us are perfect. God is totally holy, transcendent. He is above us. He is set apart. Sin, light and dark, sin and perfection, they cannot mix. Relationship has been broken with God, and that's why Jesus came. None of us can earn righteousness. None of us can ourselves claw our way back into sonship and being a daughter of God. We had to have help. We had to receive grace. We had to be called righteous by someone else's account because we couldn't do it for ourselves. And this is the message we're called to take to the world. It's a big job. It's an intimidating job. Our task is no less crucial than Noah's. He went before us. He did his part in God's redemptive plan. But it's our turn now. It's our turn to step in, to be a part of what God is doing in the earth. God has given all of his body, the church, general commands that we should strive to obey, right? General things for all of us. What are those? Well, he's called every single one of us. He boiled it down for us pretty good. Teacher, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. All of us are commanded to do that. We have several times throughout the verses where it says God's will is that all of us would be thankful in every single situation. General command for all of God's people, seek, fight for gratitude even when you don't feel like it. Look for reasons to be gra grateful when all of what it seems like you can see would be screaming a counter-narrative at you. Keep a hold as an anchor for your soul, being a grateful person. Love God with all of your heart. Love people with all that you have. Uh, the Bible says for all of us to walk humbly, that if, that if that absolutely God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. There's basic commands that are for all of God's people. And these, it's on the path of walking these out, where you find God's specific commands to you. And that's, what, that's the point I want to make here. God gives general commands to all of us as his people, but there's also specific commands for each of us. How do I know that? Am I making that up? Do I just want to make you feel special? No, I don't. Uh, Paul taught in Corinthians that the, the body of Christ, that the church of God is the body of Christ. And he said there are members in particular, and they have different functions. God has something 
for you to do. And how the question is, how curious are you about that? How curious are you what was in the mind of God before the foundations of the world when he conceived of you and when he planned for your existence? Do you care about that? What are you, let, what are you willing to let get in the way of that divine, timeless purpose? It should be nothing. Nothing should come close in comparison to being all that it is God created us to be. And yet, friends, sometimes to our shame, it is the most trivial things that will get in the way of that. Our own pride, our own sense of comfort, our own preferences, some silly sin that caught our eye will take us off to the right or to the left. It's not worth it. It's not worth it. There's a job to do. It's an intimidating job. It's a difficult job. But because we have God's promise of God's presence and his help, we can walk into this with confidence and we can do what it is we were created to do. Friend, we were created to do something together, but you were created for something. And some of you have been so frustrated. Some of you are frustrated right now because I'm telling you God has some specific desire and design for you. And you're upset because you've sought for that. You've tried to come up with what that answer is. And you've found like your prayers were just hitting the ceiling, coming back at you. You couldn't get any sense of what was next in terms of direction for you. And dear friend, what I'm saying to you is the path of those general commands God has given all of us, it's on that path that you'll find the specifics for you. You can't sit there and not be about the Father's business. You can't just sit there all grumpy, not humble, assuming that you know better than God. You can't sit there totally ungrateful for all of the things that God has already given you, all of the good gifts that are clearly from him. You can't sit there, be a bump on that log, and think that you're going to be ready or even in a place to understand what God has specifically called you to. Do the things with fervent passion that God has called all Christians to do. And along that path of obedience, friend, you will find, I promise you, the specifics of what he has made you for. And I hope you care about that. I hope right now you're calculating what it's going to cost you to walk that path. And you're excited about giving and spending whatever it's going to be to be a part of what God has in store for his people broadly and for you in particular. Praise God for that. The last thing is that Noah did not confuse faithfulness and fruitfulness. Friend, this will help you if you'll listen to me. In Peter's second epistle, he said that Noah was a preacher of righteousness. I don't know how Peter knows that. Maybe by the Holy Spirit, but he said it. It's in God's word. We get this sense that during this time, Noah was not just being a boat builder. Noah was preaching. Noah was warning. Noah was saying to people, something's coming. The way we are living is unacceptable to a perfect and holy God. Turn. Turn from your path of destruction. Noah was a preacher of righteousness. How much discouragement did he have to fight through when at the end of a hundred years of preaching righteousness, he ends up with just the same that he was promised at the beginning, him and his family, the only ones on the boat? How many times did he have to question whether or not what he was doing was worth it? That question had to have crossed his mind. Isaiah was in the same spot. You remember Isaiah 6? The glory of the Lord fills the temple. If you don't remember it, friend, go find it. Go find it and then get on your knees and ask God to do the same thing. Because God's glory filled the room Isaiah was in. The angel gets the coal and touches it to his lips. Isaiah's undone. He says, I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm among sinners. 
I don't have any business being in this presence, but what happens, the result of him being in this place of God's manifest glory, Isaiah comes out, out of him rises up. God, part of what God's saying to Isaiah is, who's going to go for us? Who's going to tell this message? And, and Isaiah, because he is in the very presence of God, because he, he tastes and sees the glory of his creator, he, he screams out, here I am, send me. And the mission God gives him says, you're going to go and you're going to preach to my people for the rest of your life. And very few, if any of them, are going to listen to you. Have you ever felt that way? Have you ever felt like you're with your family or in, in gospel mission in your workplace, whatever you're doing, you're, you're doing your best to, to live in such a way that, would, that people would want to know why you are the way you are. You've, you've had the gospel upon your lips and it seems like it's not making a difference. Noah did it for a hundred years. Isaiah for many less, but enough that he understood where grandpa Noah was at. Here's the way we need to think about that. We may struggle to see any fruit from doing what God has commanded us, but that is not our concern. Our concern is faithfulness. Fruitfulness is up to God. Fruitfulness is up to God. Dear friend, here's what you need to do. You need to obey absolutely every basic thing you know God has called you to do. You need to discover what it is God has uniquely created and commanded for you to do. You need to do that with zeal and purpose by the power of God's Holy Spirit. And you need to not worry about the results. You are responsible for one thing, and that's to be faithful to the reason why God put breath in your lungs. That's it. The fruitfulness, the, the, the response to that is completely in the hands of our Lord. And too many people get knocked off the will of God for their life and doing what it is God's commanded them because by their own estimation and their own sense of judgment, they're looking at all of the effects of their faithfulness, not seeing what adds up to it being worth it to them, and then they bail. Unacceptable. And we wouldn't do it as much if we believed this. John 15, 5, Jesus speaking, says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him he bears much fruit, for apart from me, you can do nothing. See, friends, here's your job. Faithfully do whatever Jesus has asked you to do. Seek with all that is in you to abide in him. What does that mean? I don't even totally know. I think I know some of what it means, but I want to spend the rest of my life figuring that out. Abiding in the very presence of the King of glory, my Savior. Being connected to him in such a way that what did he say? You're the branches. He who abides in me and I in him, he then bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. Friend, if, we're gonna, if there's going to be any fruitfulness in our life, it's going to come as a result of faithfulness, but more importantly, that's going to come as a result of connection to the Lord Jesus. That's the only way. That's the only way our life will count for anything. It's the only way we're going to come close to what Grandpa Noah got on his placard According to all that God had commanded him, so he did. May it be so for us. May we be a people who care deeply about doing all that God has commanded us. And may we learn to abide in Jesus, knowing that it is the only chance that we will. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come before you now in the name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the second half of Genesis 6. We thank you, God, for these verses. We thank you for the call. As we look back 
to the legacy of our lineage and we see our ancestor Noah faithfully walking out the commands that you gave him in the midst of an incredibly difficult situation, a job that was far too big for him to ever have thought he could handle. God, I thank you that he faithfully trusted you, that by faith he walked this thing out, that he didn't talk himself out of it. He didn't let anybody else talk him out of it. I thank you, Lord, that he walked by faith and not by sight. Lord, please help us to do the same. Lord, we are so tempted. We are so tempted by distraction and discouragement. So many things, God. It keeps us from even considering what it is you've called us to do as your church at large. And and sometimes we don't even get to the point of thinking about the fact that you've made each one of us for a specific purpose. But God, I ask that a, a deep an abiding desire would rest upon every single person within the sound of my voice, that, God, they would desire above all else to know and to do your will and your will alone. God, may it resonate deep within our hearts when we hear that Noah did all that you commanded him, that he fulfilled the purpose for which you created him. And, God, may that be true of us. Lord, to whatever degree it is possible, as an imperfect man, to do what it is you've commanded me to do, to do what it is you've made me to do. God, I want to do that. Lord, I ask that the people that can hear me right now, that, Lord, they would join with tenacity in that prayer. We need your help to do this, Lord. We know that we can't do this apart from you. Lord, teach us what it means to abide in you, Jesus. Teach us what it looks like to bear much fruit as a result of relationship and connection to you. Help us to trust that you are working wherever we find ourselves on this journey, God. Help us to know, help us to trust you said you'd be with us to the end of the age, that you're with us, you've not left us, you won't abandon us, that you fight for us, that your goodness, your strength, and your power are unquestioned. Thank you. Thank you, Lord. Thank you that you didn't create us for some mundane existence of just seeking our own pleasures. But thank you, Lord, you've called us into something far greater and eternal. You've called us into the mission of loving you and loving people and making disciples, of preaching your gospel and living your gospel in a world that needs it desperately. May this matter to us above all else. For your glory, O God, and for our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Love City Church located in Cincinnati, Ohio. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others, but please do not charge for those copies or alter the content in any way without permission. To give or find out more about Love City Church, visit www.mylovecitychurch.org.